Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going back to the movies again. You know I love my movies and I love my movie tropes. And we're going to talk about both today. The first thing I wanted to talk about was some of the movies that I grew up with. Now, not the movie musicals that I watched with my mom, not the noir movies, not the 50s movies. I'm going to the 1980s. Those are the movies that really stuck with me. And the 80s had a lot of great movies, a lot of bad movies too, don't get me wrong. Not everything that was done in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s was really, really good. A lot of it was dreck. But there were some gems back there, or some very memorable movies, or some movies that at least give you a perspective on what we found really entertaining back then. Now, this is by no means a definitive list. I mean, Indiana Jones came out in the 80s. Obviously, everybody knows Indiana Jones. Although, Indiana Jones came out over 40 years ago. The very first movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that was released in 1981. Because it was such a blockbuster, I still like to believe that most everybody knows about it and has probably seen it. But I know I mention Raiders of the Lost Ark to some younger folks, and they say, oh yeah, I've heard of that. And there's nothing that makes you feel older than one of your definitive movies being something that someone has, oh, heard of a long time ago. My mom told me about that. So this isn't about those big movies, or at least the ones I think of as big movies. Because there are so many movies that come out every year, and this includes back in the 1980s, a lot of movies get lost, and some really good ones, or at least some really entertaining ones. So I went through my DVD collection, I went through my memory bank of things that I remember and movies that I thought were great or movies that I've seen more than once, but aren't blockbusters like Raiders of the Lost Ark or The Empire Strikes Back? These are movies that are smaller movies, forgotten movies, little gems of movies. So I've got a list of those that you can write down, and if you're looking for a flavor of the 80s, pull out any one of these movies, and it'll give you a little taste. I've got 15 that I put together today. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on all of them. I'm just going to give you titles and a brief synopsis, very brief, and what I remember about it or why I liked it or why it's important. And then after that, I've got some more movie tropes, just a few this week. And I've also included some overused movie lines, including one that's really starting to annoy me. So that's coming up in the second part of the episode. But first up, I've got 15 movies for you. We're going to go 15 to 1, not that these are ranked in order of quality or critical success, This is just kind of an informal order of the way that I prefer them based on this list that I put together. So starting with number 15, not that I'm going to stick to the numbering, but just to give you an idea. Number 15 on my list is Adventures in Babysitting. This is a classic 80s movie that features one of those madcap situations, a babysitter, babysitting kids, basically has to battle her way through the big city to protect the kids that she's watching. It's kind of fun. It's kind of funny. The best part about it, it has Elizabeth Shue in it. This is the movie where I fell in love with Elizabeth Shue. So Adventures in Babysitting, goofy, madcap, 80s fun. Another goofy, but in a different way, 80s movie that I love, and I can't explain why, and I've mentioned this movie before, but it bears mentioning again, Big Trouble in Little China. This is the strangest movie on the list, I think. I almost put Howard the Duck on the list. That's also from the 80s. That's also a very strange movie. You can write that one down too if you want. But that's really strange and not particularly good. Big Trouble in Little China, it's strange, weird, goofy, kind of fun. Stars Kurt Russell, 
As I've mentioned before, I think he's doing his best John Wayne impression throughout this movie, and I'm not sure why, but that was the persona that he adopted for this movie. And he's trying to rescue Kim Cattrall long before Sex in the City. She was the damsel in distress in this movie. And there's some weird goings on in Chinatown that somehow involve an ancient Chinese sorcerer? Yeah, that's the movie. But it's fun, odd, interesting, and it's got Kurt Russell, and I love Kurt Russell. The next one on the list is called The Burbs for the Suburbs. The Burbs is a Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, we all know Tom Hanks from Philadelphia, from Forrest Gump, from Toy Story. We all know Tom. Tom is America's actor. He's our Jimmy Stewart. And Tom Hanks has made a whole bunch of interesting little movies. Long before he was doing serious things like Philadelphia or Cast Away. Long before he became the Oscar winner. He did a bunch of different, oddball, interesting movies. Splash, for instance. Also an 80s movie, by the way. Splash, where he falls in love with a mermaid? Yes, that's true. That's what Splash is about. Bachelor Party? That's another Tom Hanks movie? You can add those to the list, too. But The Burbs was different. It was kind of a dark comedy. It's got Tom Hanks, who's married to Carrie Fisher in the movie, so right there you have a reason to watch. But it involves some new neighbors in the neighborhood and this belief in the neighborhood that the new neighbors are actually murderers. And of course, when a neighbor disappears, hilarity ensues. I know it sounds weird. It's weird. It's weird fun. And it's Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher. So how can you go wrong? Another 80s movie that I remember distinctly as being kind of creepy, kind of fun, kind of interesting. Gremlins. Some call it a Christmas movie because it does happen at Christmas. It involves a Christmas present. But if you've never seen Gremlins, that's a classic horror slash comedy kind of movie that was very popular in the 80s. And the gremlin itself was really a cute little thing. They were very popular. But the premise of the movie, don't get them wet. Don't feed them after midnight. Because if you do, these horrible creatures evolve. And the little creatures were really horrible. Yeah, I remember them. Creepy. Speaking of creepy, The Lost Boys. Another great 80s movie. And this one in the horror genre. And you guys know I don't like my horror movies. But The Lost Boys is a good horror movie. It's kind of a teenage movie, coming of age movie too. But there's some good, horrible vampire stuff in there, and it's a good, memorable movie. The premise, the two new kids in town find the town they're in is overrun by vampires. Because that happens. And the lead vampire, Kiefer Sutherland. Yes, long before 24, Kiefer Sutherland was a teenage vampire. But The Lost Boys is good, and I think it still holds up all these years later. St. Elmo's Fire is another 80s movie that I've watched multiple times for a variety of reasons. Now, I don't really watch it for the plot so much anymore. When it first came out, I did. I was fascinated by this. It had all the 80s Brat Packers, Demi Moore, Ali Sheedy, Rob Lowe. There was Andrew McCarthy, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson. Those were the biggies. And it was all about 20-somethings trying to find their way through life. But I liked it. It seemed real to me at the time. So much drama. I remember in my 20s, it felt like there was always drama going on. And St. Elmo's Fire really captured that kind of feeling. It was very realistic feeling to me. I couldn't relate to the people in the movie. Totally different kind of people than the ones that I grew up with and the ones that I went to school with. But I could relate to the drama and the angst and the worry. And so I always liked St. Elmo's Fire. Another slice of life from the 80s, Wall Street. This is the one where Michael Douglas played Gordon Gecko, the epitome of 80s greed and avarice. He plays a ruthless corporate type who takes young Charlie Sheen under his wing and teaches him why greed is good. And boy, if you want a flavor of the go-go-get-rich-80s, Wall Street captures that flavor. 
And if by the end of the movie you don't despise Michael Douglas's character, you probably didn't appreciate the movie the same way that I did. One of the things I remember from the 80s is the dance movies. There was a couple of dance movies that I really loved. I loved them for very different reasons. The first one, Flashdance, with Jennifer Beals. Now, it's a story about a young woman who works as a welder in Pittsburgh. That's her day job. At night, she's an exotic dancer, because that's what happens, of course. But she's an exotic dancer who has her eye on getting into ballet school. And, of course, she meets a guy who wants to help her. There's the romance. There's the on-again, off-again nature of how much they care or don't care about each other. But Jennifer Beals was great in the movie. The dancing was great in the movie. And I thank my mom for my appreciation of that. Because if my mom didn't make me watch the song and dance musicals from the 40s and the 50s, I wouldn't have appreciated Flashdance as much as I did. I mean, I like the story. And I like Jennifer Beals. But the movie was great. I loved that movie. And I have watched it multiple times. The same is true for my other favorite dance movie from the 80s, Footloose. Yes, the original Footloose from 1984 with Kevin Bacon. The 80s is when all of the stars that we know as old people now started. And one of the earliest movies that I remember Kevin Bacon in is Footloose. Now, I didn't know who Kevin Bacon was at the time because nobody did. He had had a bit part in the movie Animal House and he'd been in other things. But Footloose brought him to my attention. And I loved Footloose. Kevin Bacon was the new kid in town, and it's a town where dancing is banned, and dancing is banned because the preacher's son got killed in a motor vehicle accident after a dance. Oh, sorry, spoilers. Spoilers for this 38-year-old movie. But that's the plot. And so Kevin Bacon's fight is to get dancing unbanned, at least for the senior prom. Now, I could relate to the Kevin Bacon character, the new kid in town, trying to make friends, trying to be accepted. I could relate to that so hard. But to me, the best part about the movie, aside from the dancing, was the great music. I mean, you know me in music. I had this soundtrack, and I played this soundtrack to death. I loved the music. I loved the way they worked it into the movie. I mean, of course, the title song, Footloose. But then there's the song, Let's Hear It for the Boy, which was featured in the dance montage. Holding out for heroes in there. Dancing in the Sheets is in there. I remember Kevin Bacon's battle dance to I'm Free. Oh, there was such great music in that movie. And I think that's why I loved it. In addition to the dancing movies, of course, there were the business movies. I already mentioned Wall Street. That's probably the epitome of the business movies. But one of my favorite little movies that I've watched multiple times is Working Girl. Working Girl has a great cast in it. It stars Melanie Griffith, who's the working girl who's trying to make it in the business world. She's an executive secretary. Her boss, Sigourney Weaver, steals her idea. And so it's about Melanie Griffith trying to get redemption for her stolen idea. To do this, she uses her boss's connection to an investment broker who happens to be played by Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Just like Tom Hanks, Harrison Ford made a lot of little movies, had some smaller parts, some bigger parts. This is one of my favorite Harrison Ford roles that's not one of the big Harrison Ford movies. Yes, it's a romantic comedy. Yes, it has the will he, will she, will they. But I love it. It's a great story. So Working Girl, anytime it comes up on one of the cable channels, I'll make sure to put it on. It's just an entertaining story for me. The other business movie, Trading Places. Yes, it's a comedy. It's Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd being funny. But the premise of the movie is really kind of cool. You got the two rich billionaires who make a bet about what shapes a person, nature or nurture. And they make Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd switch places. So are you a good person or a bad person, depending on who you are or what you have available? I know, it doesn't sound like a great premise for a comedy, but it really works in this movie. So it's a fun movie from that perspective. The comedy is great. It's also got Jamie Lee Curtis, so you got that going for you too. But really well written, really well acted, a lot of fun to watch. Another fun one to watch, at least for me, 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, I know, Matthew Broderick is kind of a snotty kid. He's kind of an entitled kid. He's kind of a spoiled kid. He always gets away with murder, never gets in trouble, and everything seems to go his way. But through all that, there's something extremely likable about him as Ferris Bueller. It's fun. It's carefree. It's what every kid in high school wanted to be able to do. Get away with taking a day off whenever they wanted to. So it was really relatable. And again, music plays a factor in this movie as well. There's a great soundtrack, of course, but one of my favorite scenes is the parade through Chicago, where they use the Beatles cover of Twist and Shout. One of my favorite music-slash-dance sequences ever in movies. The next one is what I consider one of the most underrated holiday movies ever, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It stars Steve Martin and John Candy, and it's a comedy about trying to get home for the holidays. One of my favorite parts about it is they're trying to get home for Thanksgiving, not Christmas. So this may be one of the only Thanksgiving holiday movies out there. But I love it because it's so real. The comedy is great, but it's so real. Because if you've ever been stranded in an airport, if you've ever had problems getting a rental car, if you've ever had to deal with somebody on the plane who just wants to chat, you can relate to this whole situation. Yes, the comedy is great. The repartee between the two guys is great. And the ending is just so heartfelt. You feel that ending. And every time I see it, it's one of those that just makes me choke up. I love that movie. I've got two left to give you that are very, very different movies, diametrically opposed on the scale of what kind of movie they are, and I love them both. And that probably explains why I'm the nut job that I am, because I can love both these kinds of movies. The first one is from 1984. That's when the first Terminator was released. Yes, that long ago. The Terminator came out in 1984. This is really the movie that, in my opinion, put Arnold Schwarzenegger on the map. He was so intimidating, so scary, and so powerful in this movie. And it just made me creep out because he was a perfect android slash robot. Cyborg. I guess it's a cyborg. Whatever you want to call it. He was scary as it. And he spends the movie chasing Linda Hamilton. Now, The Terminator is one of her earliest roles, and Linda Hamilton was great. But if you've watched Terminator 2, and if you watch the latest Terminator, you can see how far she's evolved as an actress. But she was great back then. So you've got Arnold, you've got Linda Hamilton, you've got the scary cyborg. What more can you ask for? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what more you can ask for. You can ask for The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is one of my favorite all-time movies. It will always be in my top one, two, or three, depending on when you ask me. The writing in the movie, the acting in the movie, the characters in the movie, it all just struck home with me. It hits all of my favorite things about movies. It's a story within a story. It's a love story. The beautiful princess in love with a handsome stable boy. You've got a nasty prince. You've got Mandy Patankin seeking revenge for the man who killed his father. You've got Andre the Giant. Some of the best dialogue ever written is in this movie. And I can watch this movie back to back to back. If you put this on an endless loop, I could put that on all day. I love this movie. I acknowledge it's not everybody's taste. It's kind of a parody, kind of a send-up, but it's a sweet little romance. It hits all of the fantasy kind of notes that you might want in a movie involving princes and princesses. And the chemistry between Carrie Elways and Robin Wright was just magical. I loved that movie and still do to this day. So there's 15 movies for you. You can add that to your list. I'm not sure where all of them are available or if all of them are available. If you can't find them streaming or on Amazon or somewhere, keep your eyes open at flea markets, at garage sales, and pick up the DVDs. 
In my opinion, each one of these movies is worth having, and if you can get your hands on a copy for a buck or two, it's well worth the investment. Well, as usual, we can't do a movie episode without talking about movie tropes. We've talked about movie tropes many, many times. I just did a best of episode with the best of the movie tropes, or at least some of them. And I say some of them because there's so many, I can keep doing episodes on movie tropes. That's what happens when you watch a lot of movies. You start noticing things that are used over and over and over again. And that's a movie trope. Now, these are in no particular order. These are just some more things that I've noticed over the years. Some of these are older tropes. I've noticed in recent years that some of these tend to disappear or have started to disappear. It's partly because of the way Hollywood has changed. It's partly because of the way society has changed. But if you watch old movies or old TV shows, you'll recognize these. For instance, super old teenagers. How many times have you watched a movie and the teenage class in high school looks like they're between 25 and 30? Have you seen the movie Grease, for instance? Every one of the lead characters and every one of the side characters in Greece look to be at least 25 years old, if not older. Remember Happy Days, the TV show? How old was Fonzie supposed to be? I mean, I love Henry Winkler, but he was no 19-year-old. Even movies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Sean Penn sure sounded like a teenager, but if you looked at Sean Penn, it looked a little old to be in high school. It seems like we've kind of gotten away from that in recent years because Hollywood recognizes that some teenagers can actually act. I'm sure that's why they cast Grease the way they did. They wanted real actors with real song and dance experience. And that's not to denigrate teen actors these days. But boy, it's hard to do a movie about teenagers when you look like you're 30. Another thing that used to be in movies a lot more than it is now, drunk driving. That's a good thing, by the way. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I remember time and time again, people would be behind the wheel of a car, drinking a beer, sucking on a bottle of whiskey, whatever, just driving down the road, having a conversation with whoever was in the car, and nobody thought about it. Nobody said boo about it. You know, drunk driving, it's kind of a big thing. And I'm glad we've tended away from that. But if you look at some older movies, you'll see people taking the booze in the car with them. Another thing that always pops up in the movies, every fight that you get in seems to involve an expert in kung fu or karate or some martial art. I mean, how many people really know Kung Fu or Judo? But every bad guy and every good guy seems to have some karate moves that they just bring to every fight they're in. I remember the olden days in the old movies. When you got into a fight, it was a fist fight. Throw a couple of haymakers, throw a couple of jabs. Then the guys would run at each other, grab each other, tackle each other, and roll around on the ground for a while. Those are the kind of fights we all know. Those are the kind of fights that usually happened in school. Two people throw in a couple of punches, then you grab each other, roll around until one of you lands on top. I just want to know where all of these kung fu experts came from. It certainly wasn't my neighborhood. This next one is a sight gag that's in so many movies, usually a comedy, although not necessarily. And it involves the two guys carrying a giant pane of glass. You know when you see that pane of glass, it's going to get broken. Now in a comedy, you expect it, and you don't usually expect to see that in an action movie, but it does come up. But when it does, that glass is getting broken. It's just a question of how. And I guess maybe that's the suspense they build into the scene. How is the glass going to get broken? I mean, the first time I saw it, oh, that's pretty funny. These poor guys carrying a pane of glass. Oh, it sucks that it got broken. But after seeing it so many times in so many movies, I actually started wondering, where is this glass going? And where is it coming from? Because in my entire real life, I've never seen two guys carrying a big pane of glass like that. Not a single time. I mean, it's a funny sight gag once, but it's kind of weird when you think about it. But yeah, watch for the giant pane of glass. It still pops up in movies, and it always gets broken. 
I also promised you some tired, worn-out movie lines. There's bunches of them. And this is by no means the definitive list, but these are lines you're going to hear over and over and over again. For instance, we've got company. That's the line that you always hear somebody say when they're looking in the rearview mirror and they see a car come up behind them, which they automatically know is the bad guys. And they say something like, we've got company. Or, oh no, we've got company. Anytime the bad guys show up, we've got company. That's the line. You keep your ears peeled for that one. That one comes up more often than you think. Another one of my favorites, or I should say least favorites, is don't you dare die on me. I know I've mentioned that before, but I've seen it since that episode that I talked about it in. I've seen it a half a dozen times. Don't you dare die on me. Seriously, you gotta stop saying that. You gotta stop using that line. Don't you dare die on me. Like that's gonna work. All right, here's another favorite cliche. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. How many times have we heard that phrase? And of course the hero says, well, it looks like it's going to be the hard way because I don't have an answer to your question. And it doesn't matter if the hero says, okay, let's go the easy way. It always winds up being the hard way anyway. But yeah, that's a pretty standard line. Another pretty standard line, blank is my middle name. The blank can be anything depending on the context of the movie. Danger is my middle name. Action is my middle name. Trouble is my middle name. I mean, seriously, do we have to use the is my middle name cliche anymore? Can we move past that now? Another one that shows up all of the time, all of the time, in the middle of the fight, after the hero gets knocked down, he'll stand up, blood gushing from his mouth, dripping from his nose, cut in his forehead. He'll look at the bad guy and go, is that all you got? How many times have we heard that line? Is that all you got? Good Lord, that one's been overused. Just once I'd like to see the villain say, oh yeah, that's it. I guess it's over. I got no more fight in me. You win. I give up. Wouldn't that take the wind out of the dramatic sails? And finally, I wanted to give you my new least favorite overused cliche line. When the boss or the police detective or the FBI guy or whoever says to the assistant or the second banana, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And the assistant goes, copy that. If you've been watching movies, watching TV over the past few years, everybody says, copy that as a way of acknowledging a command or a request. Whatever happened to saying, okay, or you could go with an emphatic, got it, but copy that? I mean, I know where it comes from, but if I'm working at the Walmart and I need to put up signs, I don't have to tell the manager, copy that, got it, serves the same purpose. So if anybody who's writing dialogue is listening to this, stop saying copy that. It's annoying, and real people don't really say that. Real people say, okay, got it? So there's some new movies for you to add to your list. I hope you have a chance to check them out. Of course, you may watch them and go, (laughs) no, no, these are bad. And you may think that. You may not like these choices. But at least it gives you an idea of what I think are some of the better hidden gems and forgotten movies from the 80s. So I hope you get a chance to check them out. And I hope you give a listen for these overused lines because as soon as you hear them, you're going to go, oh yeah, Gamer Dude was right. Copy that. Anyway. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. As always, I appreciate the time you take listening to these episodes, and I appreciate your support. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.